Hey, Shepard, we know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that the ministry he affords us to do in Scottsdale, geographically, of course, and digitally through our online media is, um, is a privilege for us to bear. It's a welcome burden that Christians enjoy to be called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Here at uh, Shepherd of the Desert, we get to celebrate this particular August 9th, 2020 weekend, the installation of our associate pastor, Jacob Wampfler. That'll be happening by way of Zoom video tonight at 7 p.m. And you can tune in on Zoom video or by way of Facebook Live. We look forward to Jake and his wife, Alex, joining us and helping lead people to follow Jesus the way, the truth, and the life. I want to invite you, if you have not uh, made a commitment already to Shepherd of the Desert, to um, consider supporting Shepherd of the Desert financially. To go to our website at shepherdaz.church, making an offering there, or following the directions that are on the screen. You know, it does take a little bit of effort to do ministry. It also, in this 21st century moment, takes a little bit of money. And if you would show that generosity to Shepherd, not only I would be grateful and appreciative, but I know there are countless others who will hear the word of God through this Shepherd ministry and come to know Jesus Christ, and he will become for them their way, their truth, and their life. As we gather today, I want to turn into God's word. And while we're studying all of chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation, I'd like to take a moment and just read for you the first segment of Revelation chapter 2. It's a series of letters that John is writing on behalf of Jesus to seven churches. And there's a rhyme and reason to all of them. There's a purpose uniquely in each of them. And so listen in as I share with you this first letter Jesus speaks to the church in Ephesus. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent... I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. This is the text from Revelation chapter 2. There are six other letters just like that. And while the content of each letter merits a sermon to itself, I want to just use this time together 
as an opportunity for us to think about the structure of each of those letters because the structure that Jesus uses as he speaks through John, the apostle, that structure is helpful for us in our daily discipline of spirituality that God wants to draw forth from us as his beloved children. First of all, Whenever Jesus speaks by way of one of these churchly letters, there's always an address. To whom is this letter going? And not only to whom is this letter going, what is commendatory? What is affirming about this particular church? In Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, Jesus affirmed the integrity of the church, the church that he says they want to do right. Let me just ask you this question by way of a quick application point. If Jesus came to you and he stood in front of you today, what would he affirm? What would he say that you are doing right? What would he commend? You know, I need you to know, child of God, that there is something commendatory in you. There is something worth affirming in you. And not just, not just something. It's probably many things. And if I could give you a task this week, if I could give you a conversation to have with your spouse, your partner, if I could have a conversation that you might have with your children, it would be this. What is commendatory about their faith, about who they are in the sight of God as a creation of God? That is, that is worth thinking about, reflecting on. It's worth speaking. The second part of the structure, though, is a little more disturbing, a little more destabilizing. In this part of the letter, Jesus identifies things that are shortcomings, places for growth. In each of the seven letters that we will read through, we will see a particular area of growth for each of these churches because the conviction that we hold as Christians remains true. There is sin at work in us, and that sin will always activate itself in thought, word, and deed. And as sin activates itself in us, there is a place for correction, for reproof, for rebuke, for encouragement. And so by way of quick application, if Jesus was standing in front of you, given what he said that was commendatory, what would he say that is corrective? What areas of your life would he point out? What are the gaps, maybe not in your behavior, but in the relationships that you entertain and prolong? Relationships that dishonor God, that do not spur you on to good works. What are those things that are our question marks? The third part of the letters that Jesus is authoring and narrating through John is threat. I commend you. I encourage you to change and correct some things about yourself. But finally, there is a threat that if you do not repent, if you do not change, this is the outcome. We as Christians, we live in the confidence that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Our eternal security is, is confirmed for us. 
But we also know that if we continue to choose to walk in the darkness, the darkness will envelop us. And it will take away the abundant life for which Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and that life. And so the challenge for us, even after years and years, maybe even decades of walking with Jesus Christ, knowing confidently that he is for us, therefore, who can possibly be against us? Yet nevertheless, to hear from the mouth of God the threatening talk against the sinful side of our lives, the wicked side of our human nature. For if we do not do that, We deprive ourselves by our own iniquity, by our own actions, the joy, the hope that Jesus wants from us. And the fourth part that comes up in these letters, let him who has ears listen. Listen to the Spirit. Pray. Be quiet. Stop talking so much. You know, I've had the opportunity this past week to uh, be at home uh, by myself. I'm batching it with uh, three fur friends, uh, um, Toby and Lewis and Charlie, uh, the cats and the dog. And it has been a very quiet house. Uh, My wife, Renee, and Connor are coming back from visiting family in St. Louis, Missouri, where we uh, lived up until last year before we moved here and took up the job as lead pastor at Shepherd Scottsdale. It's been quiet in the house. There's not a lot of conversation, and the uh, animals, they really don't talk back to me, even though I may at sometimes awkwardly be talking at them. But as uh, talking begins again, as Renee and Connor come back, and maybe as friends and family come to visit us in the weeks and months to come, I'm mindful that one of the most important spiritual disciplines that I, that I take on is the spiritual discipline of solitude, It's the spiritual discipline of quiet. At the end of each of these letters, Jesus invites these seven churches to be quiet, to listen very carefully to the gentle proddings of the Holy Spirit. Reminds me of a story of Elijah back in the book of 1 Kings, Elijah the prophet, and um, he was uh, in in a fight for his life with with false prophets who were following a god by the name of Baal, B-A-A-L. And Elijah wanted to talk with God. And he wanted God to talk with him. But the thing about it was, God was not going to come to uh, Elijah in a hurricane or in a tornado or with some booming thunderclap from heaven. The way that God came to Elijah was through a small, almost imperceptible whisper. Elijah heard that whisper, knew the voice of the Lord, and made a decision to make a change. Ephesus was a great church. It was one of the Vatican kind of flagship churches of the Greek world at that time. They had everything going for them, but the most important thing that they needed to have going for them is this. Were they listening intently for the call of God on their lives, commending them for what is right, correcting them for what is wrong, threatening them if they did not repent, and then saying to them, listen to me. 
I who love you, who will by the end of this book of Revelation wipe every tear from your eye, throw the devil into a lake of burning fire, bring you to my new Jerusalem. This God of promise says, listen and respond. Shepherd family, it's time for us to listen and respond. Pray with me as we wrap up this message today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your call. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us even more so when we neglect the confronting of our sins that you impress upon our souls with your holy word, your law. Give us grace, God, through your gospel. Fix it and turn our eyes toward Jesus. A song we're going to sing in just a moment. Turn our eyes toward Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But Lord, we pray, perfect our faith. Help us listen. Help us learn. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen.